Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. On this episode, our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, is leading us into a message about Jesus being the resurrection and the life. You can open up to John 11 if you want to follow along with this message. If you'd like to watch this message or listen to this week's worship, you can do so on our website, brookwoodchurch.org, or you can use our Brookwood Church app. We pray that this message encourages you in your walk with Christ. Back to our series. <laughs> Come on. That's right. That's right. Don't push it. <laughs> and we answer this question by reviewing the way Jesus identified himself. He described himself opening with a, a sacred word, I am, or phrase, I am. And then he followed it by several different images or word pictures or metaphors. And so today, we actually come to another of those metaphors. We're going to be dealing with John chapter 11. So you can open your Bibles there or dial in your um, iPhones there, whatever you're using. And if you're using this Bible, it's on page 863. Take out your message guide, and the theme verse is on the top of the outline. John chapter 11, the first part of verse 25 Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, I've titled this message today, Peace. And the reason is because I think many of us fear death. Why do we feel this way? Is it anxiety about suffering? Is it apprehension about the unknown afterlife? Is it reluctance to leave those whom we love. I believe that we can live and die in peace if we become convinced that our resurrections will follow our deaths and that we will see our Savior and we will live eternally with Him. Now, there's a story found in John chapter 11 that offers reassurance of how we can confidently, faithfully approach the end of our lives. So turn there, John chapter 11. I'm going to skip some verses, so you just stay close just for time. A man named Lazarus was sick. Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. Now, we've heard these names before. Uh, Jesus visited in their home at Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. In John chapter 12, we see that Mary actually poured out a precious ointment and dried Jesus, washed Jesus' feet and dried his feet with her hair. So these are people that are very close to Jesus. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Why'd she do that? Why did they do that? Say it louder. 
They wanted him to come to do what? To heal. To heal. These sisters, knowing Jesus' affection for their brother and for them, of course, and also being aware of his ability to heal, were confident that he would come quickly to help, but he didn't. Verse 4, but when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. Pay close attention to what he's saying. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Interesting, isn't it, that the writer was careful to point out that Jesus was not indifferent. Rather, he had a purpose in staying away. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Judea is the southern part of Israel. Lazarus's illness must have been very serious because his sisters asked Jesus to return to a place where his life had been threatened, to a place where he faced great, furious opposition from Jewish religious leaders. It's somewhat surprising, isn't it, that Jesus' true friend, one he loved, was suffering. He knew it. And he delayed for two more days. Sometimes God's plan and his timetable differs from ours. We tend to ask, and it can slip into a demand, can it? God to fix our present situations. Heal my health. Fix my job. Cause my spouse to treat me differently. And are we willing for God to work His plan in our life? If that plan brings Him glory, even though it brings us suffering. Are we willing? Are you? Y'all have to think about it, don't you? Because it is not biblical truth that God is attempting to alleviate us from every bit of pain and suffering. It's more biblically true that God fills our suffering with His presence. Now, according to the Bible, we'll see several things about resurrection. The first is that resurrection restores life to our bodies. Verse 11. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, and now I will go and wake him up. 
The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he will soon get better. The rest is good for him, in other words. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping. But Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Now, that behavior must have confused his disciples, right? Does it confuse you? Because if we come to Christ believing that he always intends to fix our present circumstances, we will find ourselves confused quite often. Jesus' reference to death here as sleeping actually points out its temporary, transitory, impermanent nature. Jesus did not view death as permanent, as a permanent end to life. So neither should we. The Bible says that when we die, our spirit, which is our life force, returns to him. Now, I believe that man is tripartite, body, soul, spirit. Spirit is this Greek word pneuma, which can also be translated breath. So when the scripture in Genesis says that God breathed life in, that means the spirit was was given that imparted life. Look at Ecclesiastes 12. For then the dust will return to the earth and the spirit will return to God who gave it. We see another reference in the New Testament. At John 19, Jesus is about to die and he did what? Before he died. It is finished, he said, and then he gave up his spirit. Stephen, in the process of being stoned, saw Christ in the heavens. And he asked Jesus to receive what? His spirit. His spirit. Acts 7, 59. Now, the soul is a bit different. Now, I'm not going to try to explain all of this to you. We'll be here another hour. Y'all start slipping out the back door. I know how you do. Our souls, which is our minds, our wills, our personality. In other words, our identity as a person is immortal. It lives forever. But our souls leave our bodies when we die. Genesis 35, 16 speaks of Rachel's death. Rachel had just delivered whom? Say it loud. Benjamin, who was first named Ben-Oni because he brought agony. And his name was changed by his father to Benjamin. But Genesis 35, 16 says Rachel's soul was departing as she died. 
I believe, again, you consider, you pray, you ask, you study. I believe we don't lose consciousness when we die. Some refer to it as soul sleep, that we go into a period or a state of unconsciousness. I don't believe that. Rather, I believe, and I believe the Scripture teaches, that the instant we leave our physical bodies, we don't pass into the presence of Jesus because we were already in the presence of Jesus. But we do pass into a greater awareness of the presence of Jesus. These physical bodies somehow limit our awareness of Christ's Spirit. Is that true? At moment, in moments, you, you feel it keenly. Other moments, not. When we leave these physical bodies, we leave those things that serve as barriers, insulators almost from experiencing the presence of Christ in an ongoing fashion. Look at this verse. Jesus replied, and who's he replying to? One of the thieves on the cross, yeah. I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, some scholars who don't have anything else to do debate whether paradise is heaven or it's an intermediary stopping off point on the way to heaven. Well, here's my my response. It doesn't matter because wherever Jesus is, is good enough for me. There's also evidence of this that we, we move from, from life through death to even greater life. Paul said at 2 Corinthians 5, 8, that he would rather be away from his earthly bodies, earthly body, so he would be at home with the Lord. And said something similar at Philippians 1.21. To live is Christ, to die is gain. So here's the point. What do you believe about this? Do you believe you won't leave the presence of Christ even at death? Do you believe it? Because see, this should help us have some peace in suffering, right? Resurrection to eternal life requires belief in Jesus. Verse 17. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, 20 miles away, which is considered one full day's walk, He was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. Now, Jews believe that after death, a person's soul lingered near the body for three days. 
But by the fourth day, the soul had departed. So there was no possibility of that person being revived. So in other words, Jesus didn't arrive until the situation appeared totally, what? Hopeless. Hopeless. It seems that God often avoids intervening in our problems until they are completely beyond our control. Until they appear irreparable. Anybody have what appears to be an irreparable problem right now? That's when God can start working. Because you will give up trying to fix it. Before that, we shift around and we struggle and we pray and we curse and we manipulate and we do everything we can before falling on our knees and crying out. When our abilities and our resources are exhausted, then we know that whatever happens next is God. And God gets the credit and God gets the glory. If you want God to use your life, you have to function in a way that He gets the glory and He takes the credit and not you. It's only when we're desperate that we learn that God can be trusted. If you haven't suffered, if you haven't felt hopeless, your ability to trust God is likely pretty shallow. Is that fair? Verse 18. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem. It was actually two. And many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, and Mary stayed in the house. Does that look strange? Why did Mary stay in the house? You think she was mad? You think Martha was mad? Michael. Shay, what do you think? You think he's right? I think he's right, too. I think he's right, too. <laughs> hey, well, even if I think you're right, it doesn't matter to anything. <laughs> but now think about this. Which one of these two sisters appeared to be more kind of emotionally, intimately connected to Jesus? Which one? Mary. And she's the one that stayed inside the house. So what's it say? What does it say? I didn't hear all that. It sounded good, but I didn't hear any of it. She didn't want to find fault. I think she found fault. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. What tone did Martha use? Who said humble? You think humble? Jim, you think humble? What do you think? You think snide. Yeah. I think she's upset. We, you know, we have a hard time saying this, don't we? When it's somebody talking to Jesus, we have a hard time saying this person spoke disrespectfully to Jesus. But you know what? Does Jesus invite us to speak honestly and express our emotions, our feelings? Martha's upset. Jesus, we've seen you heal the blind. We've heard about you raising the dead, and you didn't even show up. You were one day's walk away. And remember what Martha's personality is like. What's her personality like? She's busy, but she's bossy. Y'all like to spiritualize too much. Don't you remember what was happening? Jesus is in their house speaking. So, so there's all these people to feed. Martha goes to the kitchen. Mary sits on the floor. Well, she could have gone to the kitchen and cooked all she wanted. That's not what she did. She said, Jesus, get me some help. This sister of mine's sitting on her. I mean, is that spiritual? I think she was frustrated, possibly angry. She may have had a softness in her voice, but she was at the very least, she was heartbroken with disappointment because she knew Jesus could have healed her brother, and he didn't. And have you ever said anything like that to Jesus? Verse 23. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Did that satisfy her? No. Whoever's over here is on it. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Not now. Martha misunderstood Jesus' comment. She thought he was referring to final resurrection, and that wasn't comforting to her at all. Verse 25, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. That's an odd way to say it, isn't it? We would say, I can give you resurrection. I can enable you to experience a different kind of life. It's not what he said. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Martha embraced the truth that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah from God. So she believed in a resurrection following death. But is she still frustrated? Disappointed? 
What would you say? How would you label it? Eric, what do you think she was? I could see every one of y'all. When he said, I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus is moving resurrection out of a statement of faith and into a relationship with a person who imparts eternal life. Completely different. Which begins in the present, not in the future. See, we have come to believe that Christianity is believing some facts. That's not Christianity. James says even the demons believe that and they shudder. We're not raised from the dead or even saved by merely affirming what we accept as true. Bible doctrine is incarnated in the Son of God. And it becomes real, it becomes active when we live in relationship with Him through new birth. Believe in those facts. Yes, we need to believe these facts, but that's not when you're born again. You're born again when you experience the Son of God and by the Holy Spirit's presence, He transforms you into a different person and now you're alive. Does that sound hard to figure? I know you got to think about it a little bit. But if you've been born again, no one can talk you out of it. No one can talk you out of it because it's something that happened to you. And you aren't the same. Colossians 3.3 For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. If you're born again today, guess what? You don't belong here anymore. It's not even who you are anymore. You now live one life with Christ. You get that? You know, when you get married, the the pastor says that two become one, right? Does that make any sense? Well, what it means is that the two of you that are separate and independent have now been merged into living one life. And so what one experiences, the other experiences. What I do affects my dear wife. What she does affects me. And I'm not just talking about financially. I'm talking about in every way. Now, if you have a marriage where both of you do your own thing, and you just sort of check in with each other at bedtime, that's not becoming one. That's two people sharing expenses under a common roof. Intimacy in marriage is two people live one life. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, guess what? You only live one life with Him. So He's in on every thought, every action, every decision, every expense. 
one life. And when you step into this one life by being born again, you can never die. You can never die. Look at John 5, 24. I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God, who sent me, have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins. But they have already passed from death to life. Are you alive spiritually? Now we symbolize that through baptism. And we'll do baptism at 2 o'clock. Y'all ought to come and enjoy it. And you know some of you that need to repent a little bit. Come when it's really hot. You know. And We want to see you sweat a little bit. So we'll be there at 2 o'clock. We'd love to have you. Max is getting dipped, so come on. Is Jesus my life? Is Jesus your life? Have you already been resurrected from spiritual death? Resurrection relieves but doesn't remove sorrow. Verse 28. Then she returned to Mary. This is Martha, went back inside. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, The teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Drop to 32. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. What was her tone? Maybe not angry, just because of her personality. Maybe just broken. Just broken. And Jesus didn't rebuke her. I want you to see this. He allowed Mary to express her disappointment just as he did her sister. They expressed it a little bit differently, even though the words are fairly similar. I don't think the emotion or the tone was the similar in these two because they had different personalities, didn't they? He understood, he empathized with, with their grief, with their pain, with their distress. In verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled where have you put him he asked him well who was he angry at or what what was he angry about was he angry with Mary was he angry with Martha was he angry with all these other folks who were wailing no I think his anger was at the cruel way That sin kills life, results in death, crushes hope, devastates joy, destroys life. And y'all know what I'm talking about. If you know someone right now who's deliberately destroying their life through drugs, through alcohol, through immorality, you're feeling it. Is that fair? 
verse 34, the second part. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him? But then look at this, folks. And some of them said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? You always have a few critics around, don't you? Was Jesus crying over the death of Lazarus? Bless you. Was he? Why not? He was about to raise him. So his tears weren't about the death. So what's he crying about? He feels the pain, the sorrow, the grief, the despair of these people. He's moved emotionally because his compassion for their feelings was real. Jesus didn't rebuke these people. He doesn't rebuke us. When we feel sad over the death of a loved one, feeling sad, even feeling hopeless when we lose someone we care about, isn't a lack of faith. You know, I've been in hospitals, and I've been in the bedside of people dying, and been in funerals, and sometimes Christians feel the need to explain away what God has done or allowed to happen that looks tragic. Sometimes it's just tragic, and you can't explain it. Jesus' emotion expresses and that he feels what they're feeling. And you know what? It's okay to weep, to mourn when you lose someone that you care about because it's the loss of that person's presence, that person's companionships, that person's relationship. The world is now out of focus. And if this person had a significant presence in your life, suddenly you're a little bit at loss to figure out again what is life going to feel like. And God feels that. And He doesn't rebuke you for the feeling. God feels sorrow when our hearts are broken. He empathizes when our dreams are shattered. Even even when He knows how things will turn out because He cares. 1 Thessalonians 4 says this, We want you to know what will happen to believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. It doesn't say so you will not grieve. So you won't grieve like people who don't know Christ, who don't know the resurrection and the life. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Let me, let me give you all a little coaching. I know it's, it makes you very uncomfortable to go in, in the presence when there's been a tragic death. Or any death. Let me set you free. Don't try to make people feel better. Don't try to explain or defend God at these times. You know what you're called to do? 
sit. You know what I'm talking about. You sit and you show you care. You don't have to explain anything. You just have to say, I'm here and I'm staying. Resurrection relies on assistance as well. Verse 38. Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its instance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Anybody have a King James? What does it say? He stinketh. (laughs) Now that's literal. When Jesus asked bystanders to roll the stone aside, Mary objected because she did not expect a miracle. Verse 40, Jesus responded, Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And if he hadn't said the name Lazarus, he would have emptied all the tombs. And the dead man came out. His hands and feet bound in grave clothes. His face wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. This man had been dead for four days. And he shuffles out of the tomb. Strips around his legs. Strips holding his arms down. He can't see. His face is covered. And Jesus instructed the bystanders, unwrap him. And let him go. Why didn't Jesus just dissolve the strips of cloth? Why didn't Jesus just cause the stone to roll away itself? It, those stones are heavy. It would have been required some great effort. Jesus involved these people in his work. He does what only he can do. He leaves to us what we can do. He wants us to assist each other. We're called, we, you know, the good news. People can't believe the good news unless the Spirit of God convinces them and convicts them of sin. But you know what? We're called to communicate it. We're the ones who take it. So right now, who are you taking it to? Or are you praying God will give you someone to deliver the message to? We're we're assigned the task of helping people in need. Galatians 6, James chapter 5, read those. How are you helping someone in need right now? You can't say, I don't know anyone in need. Are you rolling stones aside? You know, people who are struggling to believe and there are things that are hindering their belief. Are you trying to move those stones out from their way? Do you know people who are bound up by fear, by depression, by drugs, by immorality? They're bound up. Are you unwrapping those strips? 
It's a little intimidating. Can you imagine if he said, you go unwrap it? It'd be a little intimidating to walk up to that dead man. Well, you know what? Every one of you have somebody dead walking around you right now, wrapped up. What are you doing to unwrap them? What are you doing to move stones? You know, right now, many of you have helped with food in this community. That's a good start. A number of you have said, I really do want to help these children in India, $20 a month. Well, well, is everything, you know, y'all sound like some of this guy. Jesus could have done it. Well, what about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? What about God called you to do something sacrificial? If you have a question, you ask me, you ask um, Bill Bishop. You ask, we have confidence in Set Free Association. I'm asking you to take part. Help someone that cannot free themselves. We all know people whose lives are marred by sin. Will you reach for the grave clothes and start unwrapping? Counselors, you come to the front. Lord, it's time to take a step, you know. It's time to take a step of faith. It's time to take a step to say, I'm going to count on me. Count on me to be sacrificial, to be generous. Count on me. I'm going to give to the church. I'm going to give to these needs. I'm going to start. This count, and the counselors will be here as long as you need. They'll talk with you. They'll pray with you. They'll anoint you with oil. Father, we thank you for this word. Help us to be a people, Lord, who are busy about rolling stones and unwrapping grave clothes. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. One of the ways that you can do that is by getting connected here at Brookwood. If you would like to know more about the many ways that you can connect with other Christians, or if you just have questions about who we are, you can email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call us at 864-688-8326. You can also find our past messages on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day. Still high.